Okay, good to go. 28 years ago, I had the privilege of uh, selling off my engineering <clears throat> business. I'm a civil engineer by training. Uh, by the grace of God, 1995 was at the peak of uh, global economy. Some of you who have uh, lived through that era. Uh, I was about 38 years old then, and I was wondering, my God, did you bless me in such a way? Uh, then I remember what I told my mother when I was a young boy of uh, 10 years old, which most mothers would ask their 10 years old, uh, what would you like to do when you grow up? And I remember telling her that when I grow up, I'd like to be either a businessman or a preacher. And I think God in His own way has enabled me to uh, dispose of my business at the right time. I think if I were to sell it now, it probably wouldn't worth two cents. Uh, at the time, it was good because I was one of the pioneers uh, in the industry that I was in, in uh, concrete repairs, in uh, pressure grouting, in strengthening of building foundations, and there were very few players. And then I had the opportunity to dispose of uh, to a large uh, conglomerate who wanted to expand and extend their business. So I'd say, God, uh, what's the reason behind this? Then I remember what I told my mom, that uh, I would also like to be a preacher. Then they said, what am I going to preach about? You know, in Malaysia, it's not so easy to go to a public park and start talking about Jesus. I would be jailed probably the moment I stepped down. Uh, therefore, I prayed about the matter. I got some of my spiritual mentor to pray with me. And to put a long story short, I gravitated uh, towards a ministry which I felt would transcend all race, creed, and religion. And yet, it's at the very heart of God, and that is reaching out uh, to families. I don't think anyone will argue with me on the importance of the family unit or the family entity. All of us recognize that the family is one of the most important things uh, in our life. About one and a half months ago, I contacted uh, COVID for the first time, uh, and I think I had it really bad. I think I had the mother of COVID <laughs> because I was down for three weeks. You know, I hear many of my friends, by the third day, fifth day, they are up and about. But for three weeks, I was unable to lie on my back because my back was just pain from the uh, calf of my leg, the calf muscles all the way to the back muscles on my back and to the neck. I have to sleep lying down. And uh, on the 10th day when I was having COVID, it has really intensified uh, to a stage whereby just to walk from my seat to up here, I was grasping for breath and feeling that I was going to faint and I thought I would be meeting my maker at that moment in time. And then I won't be able to see you, maybe in heaven, you know. <laughs> and there was a time when I began to ask myself afresh, uh, what is life all about? All of us have two dates in our life, the date when we are born and the date that we will be called home by the Lord. And in between is that dash line that you and I have to go through. My father's dash line was fairly long. He lived till he was 96 years old. My mother's dash line was fairly short. He only lived till about 47 years old. But all of us are now in the midst of that dash line. The fact that you are sitting here looking at me with your heart beating, uh, we are all in that dash line. But how are we leaving that dash line that at the end of the day we'll be able to greet our Maker? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. At a moment in time, uh, I can still remember it was the 30th of November when I was trying to grasp my breath and thinking that I was going to meet my Maker. One of the greatest comforts at that point of time, is that I knew where I was going. 
I knew I'm going to my Father in heaven. I know I'm going to be greeted by Him. I'm not too sure whether He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, but I hope He would. But the other thing that crossed my mind was not the work that I leave behind. It's not the fact that I cannot go to Indonesia and speak to JICF. It's not the task that was entrusted to me in the office. It's not the accounts that I have to manage to make sure that I pass it to my children, but it's the family that I was going to leave behind. Hospice, which is an organization in Malaysia that reaches out to cancer patients, especially during the last moments of their life, giving them the best palliative cares, did a study on what people would do at the last breath of their life. It is said that nobody on their deathbed would ever wish that they have completed an assignment or a task, whether at work or in church. Everybody in their deathbed would say, I wish I had spent more time with my family. It was during the time when I was blessed with my second grandson, and I was saying, will I actually get to see Noah, or will I not see him? Family is such an important part and commodity of our life that sometimes we take for granted. And unfortunately, many of us are under the tyranny of the urgent that we have forgotten the best and the most important part of our life, which is our family. And yet there are many challenges in family. There are challenges which sometimes seem to be insurmountable. We have differences as husband and wife. In fact, the divorce rate has risen globally, and in particular from what I'm aware of in the Asia region. And I just heard from Pastor Yusuf that in Indonesia it's the same. In Malaysia, divorce rate has risen by 41% post-pandemic. It is a huge number. I hope it's just not a number to you and me, but it's something that we need to take stock to build up the marriage relationship which reflects Christ loving the church. This is an entity that God has created in the relationship between a husband and wife is between Christ and the church. And if that relationship is strong and stable, the world can see the relationship between Christ and the church is strong and stable. It is no wonder that the devil, who is like a roaring lion, going from one end of the earth to the other end, the Bible tells us, to destroy whatever that represents God. And therefore, you and I have got to take stock and do something about some of these challenges that confront us. Other than relationship challenges, we have got many other challenges as well. And I use it as the 3C, which I'm going to share with you about. I think post-COVID, all of us at this moment in time are confronted not just with the post-COVID situation, economy downturn, or rather inflation rate has increased. Uh, it's more expensive to buy a loaf of bread and a carton of milk now uh, compared to maybe two or three years ago. Is it the same in Jakarta? Or has the prices come down in, in Jakarta? Maybe the supply has all come here and you guys are getting a song for your bread and your milk. But I don't know. In Malaysia, I know that I have paid, to pay 20 to 30% more. I was in Melbourne recently. I used to like my yogurt, which I can get for $3.80. I got to pay $5.60 now. And yet I hear the government says that the inflation rate has stable. There's no inflation. So I'm not too sure what basket they were using, but definitely not the basket that I buy food on. <laughs> But that's the situation. COVID has actually created a supply chain problem which has downstream or go downstream to where you, you and I are living to face one of the consequences. The other thing that most of us are being confronted with is the second C, is the climate change. Climate has changed just so much that sometimes we wonder why sudden catastrophe is happening. We have never faced 
such hot weather before, or for that matter, raining at the different time or different season of the year. And I think we are fairly blessed in this region of the world. And if we begin to look at some other places, the, the catastrophic effects of climate change is extremely drastic. And the third C I like to propose is that the conflicts that is happening among us. Conflict that is supposed to last for a month has gone on for years. Conflict that seems to be insurmountable. Challenges that's always there. And I think conflicts will continue. There's more to come. If we begin to look at some of the world situation, there are many threats that's being extended from one country to another. And these challenges are there before us. I feel, and I think Jesus doesn't know when the end time is, neither do I, but I feel there are signs that tell us that these are the signs of Jesus is coming again, and are we ready to face the Master? If it's not because of Jesus coming again, it's that God may call us home because our dash line has come to the second date. We're going to leave from this earth. Are we ready to face our Maker, our Creator? And will we hear the greetings of our Lord? Well done, the good and faithful servant. Today, I'd like to share with you... Is the slide able to get on? Thank you. Today, I'd like to share with you the topic on the Seder of Lebanon, and you may be wondering how is that related to what I've just said just now. Uh, I feel that there are really precious lessons that you and I can learn from the Seder of Lebanon because the Word of God actually refers to the Seder of Lebanon quite often, and I was told that uh, Elder Yusuf went to a seminary that is called the Seder of Lebanon in Hebrew, right? And, uh, and therefore, it is such an important part uh, which is being highlighted by scriptures. But what can we learn from the Seder of Lebanon to cope with some of these challenges that we face uh, in our daily life? In 2011, my wife and I had the privilege to visit Beirut in Lebanon, and that was just before the day before Mubarak was being uh, out in Egypt. And there were a lot of riots that was happening. We did a day tour in the city of Beirut. And at the end of the day tour, there were already tanks uh, and armies uh, moving into the city because they know that the next day there would be actually a riot that was happening. So my wife and I decided to actually move out of Beirut and we went 85 kilometers northeast of Beirut uh, to a town or to a city town or a seaport town called Biblost, which is about 85 kilometers northeast of Beirut. Biblost is actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site because Biblost is the oldest continuous inhabited city in the world. And one of the distinct tourist attractions in Biblost is actually the Crusader Castle. And this is the Crusader Castle, which is strong, very firm, and many people visit it. I heard that there are millions of visitors that go uh, every year. And this is a view of uh, the Crusader Castle, uh, if you are standing at the edge uh, from the Mediterranean Sea, uh, looking at the Crusader Castle. This is another perspective. If you are at the Crusader Castle, uh, looking into the Mediterranean Sea, and this is the view that you probably would face. But one of the common sites where the ruins from the Crusader Castle is, are some of the green trees in the midst of that ruins. Uh, yeah. Are the green trees that is in the midst of the ruins, and they are called uh, the Siddha 
of Lebanon. In fact, if you're familiar with the flag of uh, Lebanon, uh, it actually has the city of Lebanon right in the center uh, of that particular flag. When we turn to scriptures, and as Christians, I think the city of Lebanon has great significance to us. I just want to refer to three uh, paragraphs, or pre- three passages in particular. Uh, one is from Psalm 92 verse 12, which says that the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. If you and I are committed Christian, we are expected to be flourishing saints rather than sleeping saints. We are supposed to be growing in our faith and not to be warming our pews. We are supposed to be, be serious with the faith that we embrace and want to testify for the God whom we love and who loves us beyond what we can imagine. We've got to be flourishing, not sleeping. Ezekiel 31 verse 3 says that, Behold, I will liken you to a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and shade and of towering heights, saying that we are to declare we are a powerful nation, declaring the glory of God in whatever way that God has enabled and given us the opportunity to do so. And then in the Songs of Songs, Songs of Solomon chapter 5 verse 15 says that his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice in its sadder, majestic and strength are the characteristics of the cedar of Lebanon. But for, today, but for today, I'd like to look at the passage from Ezekiel chapter 31, verses 3 to 9. And I hope from there we are able to pick up three, uh, six lessons that we can glean from the cedar of Lebanon. Let me, allow me to read Ezekiel 31, 3 to 9. Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade and of towering height. It topped among the clouds. The water nourished it. The deep made it grow tall making its river flows around the place of its planting, setting forth its streams to all the trees of the field. So it towered high above all the trees of the field, its boughs grew large, and its branches long from abundant waters in its shoots. All the birds of the heaven made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches are all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow live all the great nations. Verse 7, It was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival, rival it, nor the fir trees equal to its boughs. Neither were the plain trees like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was its equal in beauty. I made it beautiful in the mass of its branches, and all the trees of Eden envied it, and they were in the garden of God. What are the lessons? that we can learn from the city of Lebanon to cope with some of the challenges that confronts us as family, or for that matter, that is confronting us domestically and globally. And these are the six lessons, if I may share with you. The first one is that the city of Lebanon has got extremely deep roots. I was told that for every 10 feet that you see of the city of Lebanon, the roots would have gone down 30 feet. I'm a civil engineer by training. And I know foundation is extremely important. And therefore, to have a foundation that is strong and stable is important for a building to, strong, to, be, uh, to stand strong and stable. And the city of Lebanon has these deep roots that enable it to actually have a lifespan of about 300 to 1,000 years. That's the average age or the lifespan of the city of Lebanon. 
What is the deep root of the Seder of Lebanon reminding us, reminding us of? And I like to refer to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, which reads, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all God's art, measure of all the fullness of God. I think the first reminder to us about the deep rootedness of the Seder of Lebanon is that God is reminding us that if we want to face the challenges that confront us daily, globally, corporately as a church, is that we have to be deep rooted. Deep-rooted in the Word of God and not deep-rooted in many other things. Many of us are deep-rooted in our Netflix K-drama. Some of us are deep-rooted in social media. In fact, we have done a survey on an average teenager in Malaysia, of course, because that's where I reside, that an average teenager in Malaysia spends 50 hours a week on social media. You know, they're only 168 hours in a week, right? 50 hours a week on social media, how much time do you work in a week, wherever you are? Maybe 38, 46 hours. Anything more than that, the law of marginal utility sets in, right? You won't be that productive. And 50 hours a week on social media, who is actually influencing our children? Is it you? How much time do you spend with your child? How much time do they spend with the Word? And yet God is reminding us that God's commands towards us are to be upon our hearts. We have to grasp the words of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Just as the children of Israel were about to enter into the promised land, God reminded them what? That the word of God must be upon your heart. Many a times, I think God's word is upon our head. Psychologists today say that the greatest distance on earth is actually between the head and the heart. Because we have got so much hate knowledge, but it doesn't get to become hard knowledge. And the Bible tells us that from the depth of our heart, the mouth speaks. So it's always interesting when you begin to talk with someone, what are the kind of language, what are the kind of topic that comes out is probably from the heart. Many of us are passionate about certain things and there's nothing wrong with that. But may I suggest that at the same time, God's Word that is readily available for you and me in the land that we stay is that we become serious with the Word of God. When COVID strikes us at, uh, in 2020, I made a proposal to the team in Malaysia and actually to most of our officers in the Asia region is that if I can propose and if I may propose that the first hour of every day of work, most of us start work at 8 or 9 o'clock, is that we commit ourselves to reading the Word of God and studying His Word. Don't have any meeting before that. Don't organize any event at 9 a.m. At 9 a.m. is a time that we want to dwell in the Word of God. Because if that vertical relationship and the communication with God is not right, all the things that we are doing horizontally is going to be affected by our feelings, our knowledge, how we feel about it, rather than how God wants us to do. Because God speaks to us through His Word. Psalms 119 says, Thy word is a lamb unto my feet and a guide unto my path. In the olden days, the lamb has got two wicks, right? One is facing your feet, the other one is in front. And therefore, the one that's facing your feet gives direction to where you are stepping next. 
and the one that's ahead gives the direction on where you are going next. If God's Word is giving us that direction in life and we are not serious with it, I think we really need to ask ourselves, are we serious believers of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not judging everyone because I know that in Chinese, when I point one finger, four is pointing back at me. And therefore, I need to be reminded that I need to be serious with the Word of God. And when we have become deep in the Word of God, then it is naturally we begin to love those among us. Because the world cannot see Christ, but the world sees us. And it's through our intimacy with Christ that reflects our love to those around us, beginning with our family. And it saddens me to hear sometimes Christian leaders have children who think that my dad, my mom, is really not committed to the family. They are so engaged with church work, with the business work, that we hardly see them. It's sad because God has given us children to be responsible stewards of this gift that God has given us. We need to be deep-rooted in the Word and to be grounded in His love. The second lesson which I think we can learn from the Siddur of Lebanon is that the Siddur of Lebanon has got strong penetration at the tips of the roots. It's something wrong with the slide. Are you seeing the slide just now? Were you seeing the slides? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think, don't switch to me, all right? They, they can see me, but just focus on the slide. I, the, the second characteristics of the cedar of Lebanon is that it has got these strong penetrating roots. That means that the tip of the root somehow or other is equipped with a substance that allows the cedar of Lebanon's roots to drill down through rocks and very hard objects. As a civil engineer, I wouldn't like to plant the cedar of Lebanon next to a building because it would eat probably into the concrete and affects the integrity of the building. But that's the nature of the cedar of Lebanon with strong penetration at the tips of the roots. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 12, uh, verses 19 to 20, it reads, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. What's the lesson that we can learn from the second characteristic of the cedar of Lebanon being having this strong penetration of the tips of the root is that I think I want my life to be able to drill through the difficult moments or difficult times. And in order to do that, I must be anchored in the strongest of foundation, that is Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and that should be the anchor of our soul that is firm and secure. The reason why I had this peace when I thought I was going to make my maker is that I know whom I'm going and I know who I belong to. And all of us need to have that assurance in our Christian faith. We shouldn't doubt. I've heard of Christian who says, I hope, you know, I will see my maker when I pass from this earth. It shouldn't be a hope. It should be a certainty. It should be assurance. Because the Bible tells us that, right? The Bible says, don't hope that you will see Jesus. The Bible says, be assured that you will greet your master. And therefore, we need to be grounded in the word of God to show and extend his love so that our hope is firm and secure. Do we crack when we are encountering difficulties in our life? Do we succumb to the challenges that we are facing, whether in relationships or in what surrounds us, to illness that sometimes come upon us? 
At the moment in time when I had to be in bed for 21 days, honestly, I felt that the greatest assurance is the security that I have in Christ. That if I should also pass away in my sleep, I know where I'm going. I don't know about you, but I feel that that gives us so much comfort assurance even as we wake up, as we wake up each day to know of the certainty of where we are going, to go through the difficult moments in our life. The third, lessons that we, third lesson that we can learn from the Seder of Lebanon is the Seder which God created serves to provide the needs of other living things like the birds of the air, which we read in Ezekiel just now. But if I can refer you to another passage, and that's in Psalm 104, verse 16 to 18 says that the trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stock has its home in the junipers. You know, our service often speaks louder than our words. Isn't it true? That many a times is people don't judge you by what you say, but many people look at you on what you do. One of the reasons why we do focus on the family is that we want to tell the community that we want to build a strong society. And what does a strong society consist of? But strong families. What does JICF consist of? Individual family units, like a cell in the body. You don't have to be a doctor to know that if the cell stops functioning, the body cannot be functioning well. And if the family unit is not functioning well, the church, the community would be affected. And therefore, we want to do whatever we can, to use the word of elder again, to not just survive, but to thrive. Many of us are just surviving. We are on a survival mode. But are we on a thriving mode? Because the Bible gives us assurance that we have infinite resource in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ to help us to overcome challenges. We do quite a fair bit of marriage enrichment weekend and parent-child relationship bonding programs. And we often tell couples, the Lord has brought you together. What are the things that is in your life right now that you can't overcome and overlook and accept one another? If someone were to ask me in my 36, 37 years of, uh, of marriage life that I've gone through, if there's only one word that I like to encourage couple with, it's acceptance. God has accepted me for who I am, and who am I not to accept my wife for all the idiosyncrasies or the different characteristics and behavior that she has compared to mine? We are all on the same side. We have got an uh, OTSS. It's one of the words that my wife and I always say is OTSS. We are on the same side. We are not on the different side. We are not enemies. God has brought us together because we love one another. We want to finish the race together. And therefore, there is nothing that should come between our way. The union that God has united, when we were before the elder, the pastor, who have united our lives, to allow anything to separate us. What do you say at the end of the marriage? What God has put together, let no man put asunder. And we have allowed, not only men as in men, but sometimes things in our life. Remember, the entity of a family represents the image of God. We are the earthly representation of that heavenly trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, represented on this earth by parent, husband, wife, and children. The devil is all out to destroy them. I just heard recently, and this is just about two weeks ago, from the president, Jim Daly, who was visiting us. He said one of the things that the devil was really disappointed with at the point of creation, when God said, we are now going to make man in our own image. 
was one of the greatest disappointments of the devil. Because the devil was hoping that God would make man after the devil, after the angel's image. Or the image of God would be reflected in the angels. But God chose to reflect His image in humankind, in you and in me. Therefore, the devil is really sore. He wants to make sure that he disrupt and destroy the representation of God in the image of the family. And therefore, we need to be continued to realize that we need to be use, useful to others in every area of our life. The fourth point, if I can share with you, I feel that this is probably one of the most important points uh, to us in this day and age, is how do we resist the decaying culture that we are in? The cedar of Lebanon has got a sap in the cedar that serves as a natural repellent against insects and against all kinds of fungi that may actually destroy the plant or the tree. Do we have that resistance to the changing culture that we are in? We are in a cancel culture. We are in a culture whereby if you believe in God, you'll be cancelled because we are no longer popular because of the traditional belief, the biblical belief and the biblical stand that we have. Obviously, in the United States, I do respect to any of you who are from America here. I've been there many times since I took on uh, the role of uh, Focus on the Family. I was there for the International Directors Meeting in June, but I must say that I left U.S. this year with a really, really heavy heart because I see the decaying culture that is happening there. I was at an event whereby they talk about the decaying culture in the whole LGBTQ definition. That how somehow or other this culture has seeped into the society, whereby if you do not subscribe to them, you are actually considered to be not in the right path. I was actually in San Francisco for a change of flight. There are actually three toilets there male, female, and all gender. My wife decided to actually stand by for 20 minutes to see actually how many people entered the all-gender toilet. And interestingly, nobody entered the all-gender toilet. And yet the toilet is there because why? On the basis of human rights, we are supposed to have all these things in place. What is human rights? What is really human rights? Our rights before the child. We have all the rights as the children of God and yet, at the same time, we want to subscribe to some of this secular worldview, which actually has caused a real redefinition of what family is all about. A child as young as two years old, if they come back from their school or from their gathering to tell a parent, if he's a boy, and he said that, actually, Dad, I'm a girl, and you as a parent has got no right to counsel the child. Can you imagine that? I'm not too sure about you, but I'm now concerned about my two grandchildren that if they were to go to school one day and they come back, they say, Dad, uh, Granddad, I'm actually a boy if he's a girl, or a, boy, a girl saying that he's a boy, and I've got no right to do that. You can do that. You can counsel the child and pray for the child. But the moment the child goes back to school and says, my dad told me that I am actually a boy and not a girl, and if the teacher were to report you, you'd be arrested. Can you imagine? We are living in that world where the culture has so changed. So I propose to focus on the family in the U.S. We need to come up with a curriculum to equip parents and Sunday school teacher to teach their newborn child they are fearfully and wonderfully made. God no, make no mistake in creating male and female. He created them. The Bible is that. 
it's not from focus on the family, it's, it's not from me. The Bible is so clear in no uncertain terms, He made Adam and Eve. Some Bible said Adam and Steve, but it's not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve. Male and female, He created them. And therefore, who are we to change that? To say that, hey, you could actually be a female, even though you come up with the body parts of a male. And therefore, how do we equip parents to tell the newborn child, the growing up child, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, look how beautiful you are, giving the sense of identity and self-esteem so that when they go to school and if somebody were to tell them otherwise, they would say, no, God has made me that way. And I've got to accept myself as that way because we are made in the image of God. And there are so many other differences, so many other things that we are living in the decaying culture that I can go on and we can actually do a seminar on that. But how do we equip ourselves? I think we need to equip ourselves. The Bible has given us a solution. And that's from the book of Ephesians where Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. We can't do it on our own accord, but we can do it with His strength, with the infinite resource we have in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, by putting on the full armour of God, it's not a partial armour, but a full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. The scheme of the devil is so subtle, so varied, before we realise we are actually stumbling upon it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, another reminder, therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth. Buckle around your breastplate with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A reminder again, the Word of God becomes such an important and integral part of our Christian faith and our Christian life. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayer requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Dwelling in the Word of God and prayer is such an important spiritual discipline in our Christian life, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm a night owl. I prefer to sleep late and I'm not a morning fowl. I don't like to wake up early, all right? But I choose to wake up at 6.33 every morning to pray. And you know why 6.33? Because that's my favourite verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I think some of you would prefer chapter 8, verse 30, right? 8.30, you can wake up in the morning. <laughs> but I like 6.33 because Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be given unto you. We have to be right with God. That vertical relationship has got to be right. Put on the armour of God to resist the decaying culture that we are in. The fifth point if I go on with, so that I don't have to end too late, is the importance of unity and support. You know, the limbs of the neighbouring trees in the city of Lebanon 
will actually grow into the cedar of Lebanon to depend on it to provide support. It's really interesting. There was this particular tree that we saw. There was just like two trees into one. But one is actually leaning on the other, talking about how we need to be there to be useful, to provide unity and support. Psalms 113 verse 1, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collars of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. I think when we begin to live in unity and in support to one another, especially in the church context, it is when the world may know that we are one. It is said that in this day and age, there are so many things that cause division in the church, isn't it? Not to talk about division in relationship, but I want to talk about the perspective of the church as well. That many a times, division in the church, I feel, is really the saddest things that happens before our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ who wants us to be united so that the world may know that we are one. And yet many a times we are disunited over little things, over little things that actually cause us to be separated. And down to a human or to a family level, there are so many things that actually have separated us that has caused us to become disunited and lacking of support for one another. My, fifth, my sixth and final point is the importance of longevity and vitality. One of the hallmarks of our visit uh, to uh, Biblos and the city of Lebanon is to discover that the average lifespan of the city of Lebanon is actually 300 years and some live up to 1,000 years, even in a very harsh condition. In a bitterly cold winter and extremely uh, hot summer, yet the tree can survive for so many years. Psalms 92 verses 12 to 15 reminds us that the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of God, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I just turned 65 and my hope and prayer is that I will still bear fruit in an old age. Not the fruit of having more children, don't get me wrong but the fruit of testifying to the love of God and to those that God has placed in my life's journey. I think at this age and stage, I'm very intentional in passing on the baton to the next generation of leaders, but I think God has given us an old age so that we can bear fruits of righteousness, that we can encourage the younger among us to say, hey, you know what? Let us live for God. Let us live for His glory. Let us remind ourselves that God has given us things. It's not for us to keep and to hold, but really to share and to love others. I was reminded when I finished my uh, study uh, at um, RMIT in Melbourne in civil engineering, uh, one of the elders who was sending us off back to our own home, he said that life is like a monopoly game. You know, all of us are familiar with a monopoly game. Yes, no? If you are familiar with it, could you raise your hand so that I, I know I'm speaking to an audience? A monopoly is a board game, all right? It's a board game where you actually roll a dice and then you move your whatever and then you try to buy up streets and after you got your streets, you buy houses and then after that, you buy hotels so that each time when another person passes your street, your house or your hotel, you can collect money from them and you build up your wealth. 
Life is like that, isn't it? We earn money, we acquire assets. But the, the speaker went on to say that what happens at the end of the day is that at the end of the day, you've got to pack up and everything goes back into the box. I can't say that I'm going to rent a 40-foot container to take it with me. It doesn't work that way. It's that it has got to go into the box. And God has given us the assets, the availability of resources, is that we can be a blessing to others. And God will reward you as a result of that. Over the last 26, 27 years at Focus on the Family, I have just seen it with my own eyes on how people who are committed in giving to the Lord through their tithes and offerings, God has never failed to provide even more because they are responsible stewards. What did the book of Malachi says? That many of us shortchange God through our tithes and offerings. And he went on to say that if you honour God with your tithes and offerings, will I not open the floodgates of heavens and give you things that you can never imagine? God wants us to live a long life to bear fruits for Him so that we can remain fresh and green, proclaiming that the Lord is upright, that He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in Him. As we grow older, by God has given us longevity and vitality, let us grow old with grace and with truth. Because many a times, as older people, we think we have learned so much. There's a Chinese saying, how many of you speak Cantonese? Any Cantonese-speaking people here? No? There's a Cantonese-Chinese saying that I have eaten more salt than you have eaten rice. You know what it means, right? Because I've been so old in my life that I've consumed more salt than you have eaten rice. And it is true. Maybe we have a bit more, more, more knowledge. But the knowledge that God has given us is to inspire the younger people and not just to communicate the truth without the grace but at the same time, not to just communicate the grace without the truth. John chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us that we have to balance grace and truth. Many a times, we do not want to speak the truth because we are afraid that we will offend and we want to preserve our reputation and our pride. Many a times, we extend so much grace that we have not extended the truth that is written in the Word of God. And many of us have extended so much truth that we have for forgotten the grace that we need to extend. Because when we begin to extend grace, we extend love. And that's when the world begins to see that we are Christians. Let us live our life like the city of Lebanon. And if I can just share with you, there are six points. Number one is be rooted in the Word of God and be grounded in His love. Be deep-rooted Christians. Number two is that let us have the strong penetration as the cedar of Lebanon has. And this strong relationship of God will be able to take us through tough and difficult times in our life. And number three is let us remind ourselves that God has placed us on this earth so that we can be useful to those around us, the usefulness to others and serving others as our Lord Jesus Christ came not to serve, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. Number four is let us recognize that we are living in a decaying culture that is counter to what we believe in many a times. And we'll be challenged in our faith and with our understanding on the Word of God. But God says, put on the full armor of God so that we can withstand the onslaught of the devil. Number five, also remind ourselves that the devil sometimes causes disunity among us so that the name of Christ would be tarred and would, not, would be affected. Let us remind ourselves the principle of the body of Christ, that we are a body of Christ. 
Can you imagine if my brain is not talking to my legs? It's going to be a disaster, right? Or my heart is not talking to my hands or my feet. The, body has given, uh, the, the Lord has given us an example that the body of Christ needs to be united in its function. And finally, number six is that let us finish the race well. Let us have our last date with the dash line whereby at the end of it, God will say that, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. Father, we come before you this morning and thank you again for being able to worship you, to be reminded afresh uh, this season that Jesus came in the person, that the Lord Jesus Christ came in a baby, in a manger. And finally, Lord, to die on that cruel cross for each and every one of us. Lord, at this beginning of Advent, we pray that you may help us to take the opportunity to share this love with those that you have placed in our care, in our community. Lord, help us to be reminded by the city of Lebanon that we need to be deep-rooted in your word and to be grounded in your love. Let us also remind ourselves, O oh God, that we are in a world whereby the culture is counter to our biblical understanding. And therefore, we ask, O oh God, that you may help us to equip ourselves by putting on the full armour of God so that we are able to combat the onslaught that confronts us. Lord, we pray that at the end of the day, you may help us to finish the race well, to hear the words of the Master. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.